With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Sean Keeley. Hello. Hello, people. You all know Sean. He runs this place. He writes stuff. I lurk. <laughs> he lurks. <laughs> More often than not. Um, so yeah, this podcast is entirely dedicated to the uh, the shit show of today, and that was Mark Coyle basically trying to uh, to slip out of Syracuse under the cover of night, as, as it may seem. Uh, and head to Minnesota, of all places. Sean, your your initial thoughts. I mean, you know, it, it's tough to think about. I mean, my initial thought was just shock. I, I got the email. It was like this two-line statement from Kevin Quinn at Syracuse University saying Coyle was resigning for, quote-unquote, family reasons. And uh, And then I looked over somewhere else and saw that uh, Minnesota had put up this weird statement that he was a finalist for the AD position. Weirdest tweet. It was so weird. And, and so, you know, you put two and two together and it's like, wow, really? And, and I had kind of forgotten his whole history with Minnesota. Um, but once I realized that, I, I guess I, fi- I figured this was a dream job scenario that we were dealing with. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, sh- it, it's shocking. Like, you know, you, you can think whatever you want about, you know, how he did it and whether or not it's cool for him to do it. But uh, just less than a year later to realize we're going to have to do this whole thing all over again. And, and it's going to be even more pressure now with the new AD because we're going to have in the back of our mind that, well, the last guy jumped jumped out of here in less than a year um, I think the concern now is whether or not do, is are people just all viewing Syracuse as this stopover place where you kind of go for a little while until something better comes along? Yeah, I mean, that's the fear, and it's, it's an odd one because I think part of it stems from what we've discussed on the podcast and everywhere else before is that the, the Jim Beheim syndrome that has kind of permeated the fan base and the school and, and everybody else is that, you know, if anyone who... Anyone who leaves is a traitor, um, and anyone who stays is, is the best person ever. Now, obviously, you know Jim is helped by the fact that he has results to back up a stay of, of this you know length. But there's very few people who stay at one job and and please everybody at it for almost the entire time. Um, I think what we're seeing now, though, is, is you know what you were describing. Syracuse turning into a bit of a stopover. I mean, we'll see what happens with Mike Hopkins, is whether or not that can get to the basketball program. What I'm noticing, though, is that this isn't something that necessarily affects other private schools, so I'm wondering what else is going on here, that Syracuse is getting you know, bitten by something that I'm not really seeing as much at Northwestern or Vanderbilt um, or, or many of our other ACC brethren. Is this because most of them aren't as good at athletics as we are? 
Um, or is it something that is there, or is there something that's just because Syracuse is, is not necessarily a destination city? Um, you know, two things, just stepping back for a second. I, I, I was thinking about how for a few generations of Syracuse fans, you pretty much had the same three people in charge of the three most important SU sports jobs for decades. You had, um, Krauthamel was, you know, was the AD for what thirty something years. Uh, Bayheim, obviously, and then you had Pasqualoni, who was the coach for like I don't know, sixteen, seventeen years. And so it does kind of feel like we went through this period where, even when we didn't like the the people, we we could depend on them in this weird way. And, and it's almost like now we're 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 grown up and we're realizing that the adults are uh, are not quite the same or, or for whatever reason it's just a different scenario but getting back to your question um i mean i think unfortunately you know the more i thought about originally when i when i heard coil went to minnesota i was like minnesota really but then i was like you know what it's big 10 they're, they're bringing in more money uh, it's it's a little bit higher profile whether we want to admit it or not um, at least in terms of football so um, you know you got that you mentioned Vanderbilt that's an SEC school and, and the ACC is great but it, it you know facts are facts Big Ten and SEC are, are on another level and so you know I think you've got that I, I think Syracuse yeah I mean the city of Syracuse nobody's going to be putting Syracuse on their list of the 20 greatest college towns in America and um, you know and it's it's hard to compete with a lot of these other places you know a lot of private schools are in these either these beautiful college towns or these huge cities and you've got that to worry about and there is kind of a regionality to Syracuse as well I think being up by ourselves there in, in upstate New York I, I you know I think if you're not if you're not a northeast person that probably isn't uh, you know, it's kind of hard to really dig into that. I could totally understand, um, you know, why somebody who is not from the Northeast would attach themselves to Syracuse, New York and Syracuse University. Um, but all that said, you know, I, I think unfortunately a lot of it comes down to money. Um, you can look at what Coyle can make at Minnesota versus what he was probably making at Syracuse. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sure there's there's just more money, donors giving more. Just a, it's just a different environment at a lot of those other schools. And Syracuse, for whatever reason, is, has just been behind the times for for a while in a lot of different areas, and is starting to catch up. But you know, uh, we're seeing how quickly things change. Yeah, I think that that you know in. The fact that it's 11 months, I think, is the jarring part. I mean, I don't think anyone would have batted an eye, you, you and I included, if if Coyle left after four years and a successful run turning around the football program. I think, once again, this is kind of um, the Doug Marone syndrome of, well, you left before the job was done. Like, you did some, you did some good stuff. You hired the coach. Okay, but now what's next? Um, I think it gets to the weird mentality again, though. Like, And you were right. It is this regional kind of northeast you know, closed. I mean, does Syracuse have to move to a kind of isolationist policy of like, you know, only quote unquote, our guys, it seems like more and more of the fan base, the more we're kind of seeing coaching turnover in recent years and and administrative turnover is that everyone within the fan base, or at least a a good portion of the fan base is saying, you know, 
bring in our guys um, and only people to get us. I mean, Sean, do you think that there is, do you think it's that hard to get, quote, unquote, us as a group that we can only hire people who have been at Syracuse before? Or is this something that, is this maybe like a silly portion of the fan base that, that is only gaining steam because of how much change we've had? Yeah, I mean, what when it comes down to it, what does that mean? You want to hire uh, Dan Conley to run the, to be the head football coach just because he went to Syracuse? Like that, that that's silly. Um, you know, I, I think I I mean, I do think there is probably something to be said for someone who is a northeastern person. Um, only because and and I feel myself rolling my eyes internally saying that, but I think what that means to me is. You know, like, like, look at Mark Coyle. Like, he's a guy who was just, we realize now, was just never destined to be here long term. And it's the same fear that I, well, it's the same concern I have for Dino Babers that he just, he's just not the kind of person who I expect to plant roots in Syracuse, New York. I think if he does well here uh, in three or four years, if another, if a big, you know, bigger, higher profile program comes calling, I fully expect him to go. Uh, I, I don't see him as the kind of coach who's going to be here a decade from now, one way or another. So I, I think there is something to be said for finding somebody who has some sort of roots, you know, whether it be in New York or just the Northeast or the Mid-Atlantic, just somebody who is of the region and, and kind of has a basic feel for it. And and I don't know, like, I, I Maybe this that's oversimplifying it because, you know, look, at the end of the day, what we want is to win. That, that's what we want. And so if, if Dino Babers turns us into a winning football program and leaves after four years, so be it. Because he did what he came here, what, what we wanted him to do. And you can't have everything. You can't have uh, a Jim Beheim for every sport. So, um, you know, I, I, I think you just kind of have to make peace with the fact that at certain times, you're going to be hiring a mercenary who considers Syracuse a, a bullet point on their resume. And if they do well, then they did what they were here to do. And and in the meantime, I think, you know, for athletic director, I do think it um, behooves us to look for somebody who is willing to put down some roots here. Um, you know, we always had that concern with Gross that he was going to go back to the West Coast. Um, and you know, he did stay here for a decade, but we always wondered and, uh, you know, we just saw it with coil. So I would imagine that we're going to be looking for somebody, um, you know, it won't be the most important thing, but considering somebody who has some sort of regional, um, bias for this, for, for, for this area, I think is going to be on the minds of, of the chancellor and the board for the next hire. No, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, you look at, just kind of a lot of the guys we were tossing around names with, and unfortunately, you know, mostly literally guys. Um, I, I know I'm starting to see some some female names. I think Syracuse is, is doing a good job of, at least from the search list that we saw for both coaches and for ADs, it seems like they are expanding search. I think Severud's done a great job of really trying to vet the best possible candidate, regardless of, of who that person is. And if it ends up being another old white guy, then I, I hope that old white guy is successful. But I also wouldn't mind a fresh perspective at Syracuse. I think that's that's kind of the one thing that, you know, we talked about a little bit with Babers, but I think, you know, gets even more to it with, with the AD. Um, 
I, I think in general, like you look at look at our search process, I think it has to be like you said, it has to be in consideration, but it can't you know trump all things. I mean, that's where a guy like Sean Frazier, who's over at Northern Illinois, comes up a lot because he he has the roots here, but he's not exclusive to them. I think you know Babers is a guy who and Babers had spent all of his career in Texas or all of his career um, in the Midwest near Bowling Green. Um, or where he started out here uh, out west, then you know maybe you're a little bit wary of him. But I think fans were able to digest it, and the school was able to digest it because he is just well traveled. Um, and I I think to me, I wouldn't mind somebody well traveled. But then that depends on you know how you classified Mark Coyle. Did you consider him well traveled or or just you know an up and comer? I think in today's you know athletic environment, given all the money that's exchanging hands and all that. Um, it's going to be tough for a program like Syracuse that isn't at the pinnacle of the sport um, to hire an up-and-comer who's not so much of an up-and-comer that they leave before the job's not done, but like 75% of the way there, I, I think I'd be okay with, um, or at least 60. I, I think that Coyle, I think, is more of a cautionary tale of don't hire the guy that everybody's talking about as the next guy because he's going to leave you like very quickly the second things start looking pretty nice at Syracuse. Yeah, I, I was going to say that, you know, if, if you can't really fault Severud and, and the board for their hire on Coyle because clearly he is a extremely hot commodity. Uh, just like that, he's the fifth highest paid athletic director in the Big Ten. Um, so it's not that Syracuse did a bad job with Coyle, but I think you're right. I think it's, you know, instead of looking for the guy who everybody's talking about, I think it's about finding the person who is like the up and comer who's, you know, you've seen really good things from them and, uh, you, you know, has started to make a name for themselves, but isn't quite at that level yet where, you know, they're, they're just going to be constantly getting calls from search firms. So I agree. I, I think, you know, I think about the Ivy leagues, I think about, uh, Patriot League and and those you know I don't know specifics too much myself but I just wonder about people in in those areas and whether or not there's there's some people there who you know could would view Syracuse as an enormous possibility and and something they would be excited about and want to do for a long time. Yeah, I mean at the end of the day, any hire, um, whether that's at college athletics or a blog or or a marketing firm, it, it's all. It, it's all a gamble, and, and, and I think that's a lot of decisions that you're going to make as, as an organization. It's going to be a gamble. Um, I think if you're looking at it not only as a gamble but as an investment, um, you know, you are looking at not, you know, not who is everyone talking about now, but who's gonna, who everyone going to be talking about in five years. You, know, you make, that, you make yeah. that investment for the long term, and, and I think, yeah, you can't fault Severud or, or anyone on the board for, for that hire. I think Coyle was the right choice, and it's one that I think a lot of us thought we were – that he was kind of out of our league because he was bound for bigger things. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, looking at it, some of the, I mean, a lot of the Ivy league programs have done a lot with, with very little um, of late. I think you can look at, you know, Patriot league and then colonial athletic has, has some great teams. If you want to look down South, there's plenty of schools that have done a lot in a minimal amount of time, especially some of the more, more recent teams to move up from FCS to FBS um, and, and have done it with, you know, thrifty spending, great hires. I mean, yes, they've had access to a recruiting ground that Syracuse doesn't um, on a local level. But, you know, I, I think that the number one priority, and I think this is why, I think most importantly, they're going right back to the old list, 
has to be football. Um, and, and obviously, Coyle put us on the right track. I think Babers is a great hire. I just hope, I think less now than, than him getting hired off to, to a big program right away. I'm now more worried that he feels a, a bit of betrayal from Coyle that, that could tinge, I guess, how he views this job going forward. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, you don't want to read too much into his reaction, you know, when, when he found out the news, because regardless of anything, that, that is a shocking thing to find out. You walk out of a meeting and you're told by a reporter that your boss just, just up and left. Um, so I'm not, I'm trying not to read into that too much. Um, but I agree. I mean, you know, he, he comes here, uh, assumedly uh, under the, the idea that Mark Coyle's his guy is, is the guy who, you know, he fired Scott Schaefer so he could hire Dino Babers basically. And, you know, they're going to make or break their reputations together and then coil up and, and bolts. And, you know, it, it does make you wonder right, if it's the kind of thing where if Babers does turn the program around and he's doing really well in year two, is that the kind of thing that makes him leave after year two rather than stay through year four, you know, and there's so many other factors involved, but, um, yeah, I, I definitely wonder about that. Um, but I I think the most interesting thing about it is how, um, is, is how much credit coil is going to be getting. And and we've already heard it. Like I, I just heard the, the Minnesota, the president talk about how coil led Syracuse to two final fours this year. And it just makes you realize like, like, wait, I don't think he had really anything to do with any of that. Nope, and, nope. like, all didn't the... Coach, su- didn't do anything. No, didn't do anything. And, like, all the success of the women's programs and the Olympic sports and all that stuff, like, all of that, you know, say what you want about Doc Gross, and we were never his biggest fans, but the dude laid the foundation for all that stuff to happen, and uh, it just so happened to break right the year after he left uh, under Coyle's watch. And, and Coyle will get the credit for it on his resume, but... Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say all of the things that happened under his watch were really because of him. Well, it's funny, too, and, and this isn't to, to bash Coyle. I think we had our comments and, and tweets and, and such about that earlier today and for listeners yesterday. But, you know, Coyle kind of has a habit of, of piggybacking on other people's, of what other people built. I mean, it's not like he came in and built Boise State into what it was. He was stuck around Boise State for three years after Boise State had already established itself as, you know, one of the, if not the premier, you know, group of five program. Um, and obviously, like, maybe he gets a little bit more credit for the basketball program, but still, same deal. You know, the basketball program built a new arena. They started recruiting better. They made great hires. They made themselves, got themselves into the tournament, um, you know, after kind of, muddling around as a, as a whack program for years um so yeah it, it's it's funny how it's not that i'm wishing him ill at minnesota but i do think minnesota comes with some challenges um that obviously he's prepared for he he wanted to go there but i don't necessarily i i want to see what happens when when he walks into a situation where the only advantage um from a job standpoint is, is money and and i don't think he's had access to to that part of the gig um, in, in his two previous, you know, AD roles. Yeah. And, you know, walking into kind of a mess with the basketball program and Patino and he's got some scandal going on and, you know, he, he kind of comes in now with this reputation of, 
clearing house on guys he doesn't that aren't his guys and bringing in his own guys. So it'll be interesting to see how he deals with that. But yeah, it's it's the it's the first time I guess he's coming into a situation where the the foundation hasn't been laid for him, and so uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm I'm sure Syracuse fans will be keeping an eye on what happens there um, for for various reasons, and uh, maybe we'll get to see him in another third tier bowl one of these days. Yeah, maybe yeah, we'll maybe. get around to scheduling a 2017 or 2018 opponent. That could that could also happen sometime around 2020. We'll do that. Christ, <laughs> I know. Of course, Sean and I. One of the first things we brought up when he was fired, or not fired, when he left, was the fact that you know nothing had gotten done on, on the scheduling front. And it's I'm not going to say this is the only reason. Is that him leaving was the only reason that we didn't schedule anybody? But Coyle usually deflected questions about about scheduling, uh, even from the first interview um, when I talked to him. You know, back when he was hired. Uh, I think, you know, he's been asked a couple other times and really kind of gave some vague answers. Dino Babers really didn't have much to say about it either. He had some random Team A versus Team B conversation that has yet to yield any results because we haven't heard an announcement. Um, and I know some, you know, regional rivals. I know the Rutgers kind of reshuffled the uh, the deck chairs a little bit today with their schedule and with Temple, and Buffalo was added to Rutgers' schedule, and Buffalo now has limited dates left. I mean... I don't even care who we play anymore. Like, I mean, I do, but I don't. I just think we're looking at a late summer announcement at best for any future future scheduling. And I mean, Sean, you, you've talked about this at length. I've talked about this at length. But like, what do you think the institutional problem is at Syracuse uh, when it comes to scheduling? Because it can't just be put on uh, on change and, and and some some staffing reshuffling. <laughs> Honestly, I've been trying to figure this out for years. I don't I, I it made sense under Gross in that Gross was very clear that he wanted to schedule high profile games so that Syracuse could be on TV and get exposure. Um and we would always say, Well, what's that worth when you lose by forty on national TV and confirm to everyone that you're not very good? What does that do for you? But whatever. That that's our argument. But as for like what, you know, and then we found ourselves in this mess, I think, it, what was it, like 2010, something like that? Yeah, when, well, when West, we, in 2010 it was bad, and then when West Virginia left, we had to add the road game at Missouri because West Virginia left and TCU decided not to come because they went to the Big 12s. Then we had one less conference game than we thought we were going to have. And then I think the year before that was when we played two FCS teams. Which worked out. Yeah, which worked out, but is like... But it didn't, but it might not. <laughs> yeah, it's not ideal. It's, it's not, and, and I don't know, I don't think you can do that now, or, or you can, but one of them doesn't count. One of them doesn't, yeah. I mean, even then, it, one of them, you, we basically were a 6-5 and five team in the eyes of bowl committees. Right, right. But, I mean, now at this point, I would think that if you scheduled two, at, because, because of how shitty the bowl situation has turned into, where you have five and seven teams joining, I feel like if we went seven and five with... If we went six and six with two FCS teams, I feel like we'd be given priority over a five and seven team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so to answer your question, I I don't know. I mean, I I think because Syracuse was so cash strapped for a long time, there's a hesitancy to do the whole like we'll pay you to play thing. Um, so maybe they're just kind of banking on you know another school saying like, hey, we 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 gotta 
opening we need to fill, we'll pay you to play it. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And, you know, if we're just going to go and fill that spot with a team that we're probably not going to beat, it's just, it's just such a self-fulfilling prophecy of, of mediocrity. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, one of the things about Coyle that hurts his cause right now is because he was so vague and because he was so quiet and behind the scenes, he leaves a lot open to interpretation about like, well, what were you doing? Like, what, what were you doing for the last year? Because, you know, like the football, there's nothing really to show for it in in terms of football scheduling. Um, You know, he put a couple PR things in place for the upcoming season, but nothing really all that tangible, you know, obviously hiring Babers, but, you know, as far as big picture stuff, there's really not that much there that wasn't there before he got here. So, um, so I think that that kind of is why it's such a question mark and, and why a lot, part of the reason I think people are so kind of bothered by him leaving is because this sense of like, we don't even know what you did when you were here. So like now that you're gone, what, what do we do? Like we feel it's like we've just wasted a year when we could have scheduled, you know, we could have set up all these great home and homes and put ourselves in a position to win more football games. I mean, I, I, I've said this before at this point, I would, and I agree with everything you just said. Um, at this point, I, I've told SU, I'm willing to do it for free. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I will make the phone calls, and I'll do it for free. I don't care. Just tell me how much money I can spend of yours, and, and, and then I'm gonna, I'll, I'll just do it. I, I, I'm fully dedicated to getting us a schedule that makes sense, because you look at the article I posted the other day, like, uh, of the you know, early top 25, we're facing four of them, including three in the top ten. If you switched, to, if you looked at that top twenty-five and looked at next year's schedule, we're facing four teams in the top twenty-five and like five in the top, no, four teams in the top ten and five in the top twenty-five. I mean, this is unfortunately too because of the way the rotation works for us uh, when it comes to the extra coastal team. Um, you know, we, we kind of lucked out with, with teams like Virginia and, and a Duke team that seems to be trending a little bit down uh, at the beginning, and now you know we got a gauntlet of. Um, Virginia Tech with, with an offense similar to ours and, and still the same top 25 defense. You've got a Miami team that's obviously much better um, now than they were before, now that Mark Rick's there. And you got a North Carolina team that's playing better than it has in decades. So th- th- that's the next three years of, of, of you know rotating coastal team. All those teams could easily be in the top 25 because we keep, you know, we have LSU next year. We got Notre Dame every other year from 2014 through 2018. Luckily, there's a little bit of a break, but for the time being, we're going to be facing them every other year. I just think we can't fix what has already been done. That's fine. I'm not saying take these games off the schedule. At this point, I'm saying just make sure the other games are wins because as we've discussed, you know, Syracuse is going to win four games every year and lose four games every year in nine out of, every, in nine out of ten seasons. What happens in those other four? Why, why can't we make sure that those other four are, are wins or, or at least we're getting two out of them so that we can get to a ball. Yeah. I, you know, we, we've had this conversation so many times and I have yet to, to see any, I mean, I've heard people say why not to do it that way, but the results don't back that up. So, um, yeah, I, I, I throw my hands up at this point. Um, I, I just don't know. I yeah, you know, it it's such a hard thing to really get into because it's it's almost like you have to 
understand what the philosophy is first and then go after the teams that you want. But we've already put so many things in play for the upcoming years. And like you said, the ACC schedule that it's, we we've painted ourselves into such a corner of just never being able to get out of this. And, uh, and it's frustrating. And, um, I, I, I just feel like it's just never going to happen. Like it, and, and if it does happen, there'll be all these complaints about how we're not playing good games and why should I go to the dome and like, okay, then go to the dome to watch the f- number five team in the nation come in and beat us by 30. Like that. Great. Go ahead and do that again. I would so much rather watch Syracuse win. Um, but you know, what do I know? Apparently nothing. Because nothing. how would you be able to cover this team from from anywhere outside of Central New York, Sean? <laughs> how dare I? <laughs> or me, for that matter. Um, before we jump into a little bit more, um, as is customary on this podcast, here's a talk about beer. So, Sean, what have you been drinking of late? Oh, what did I just drink? Uh, I just found this one. Oh, uh, what's it called? Unita. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're down in uh, Louisiana. Uh, oh, wait, no, they're not down in Louisiana. They're they're the one in Utah. In Utah. Yeah. yeah. So I found this uh, this summer ale that they have that just randomly showed up in in the local shop in town, and uh, I've been enjoying that. A little bit ahead of schedule, but I guess so is the weather here, so it doesn't really matter. Um, I think it's summer solstice. Is that it? Something. Oh yeah. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah. So uh, so that's been my go-to for, for the last week. Nice. How about you? I, uh, well, I got a lot of drinking to do this weekend. But uh, ne- this past weekend, uh, had some Beachwood Brewing uh, Thrill Seeker. Uh, as I mentioned here before, Beachwood Barbecue down in Long Beach is fantastic. And they have a very, very good, their staple IPA is Thrill Seeker, but they do make tons of others. Um, got that bottle about three days uh, old and... If you're if you're in the IPA game, that's really what you're looking for. Um, anything kind of two weeks or less is going to be your, your freshest drink. Um, grab some Smog City Kumquat Saison. Uh, recently won an award at the uh, Great American Beer Fest um, for Fruited Saison. Uh, had a decommission from the brewery. Um, they, uh, they got rid of their original brew system um, after a uh, seven-and-a-half-year run. So this was the last beer that they brewed on it, hence the name, uh, Decommission. Just kind of a uh, little bit of a pale lager. Really enjoyed it. It, was just, it wasn't a straightforward uh, pale lager, but it was a good one nonetheless. Um, and beyond that, uh, picked up a bottle of Pliny the Elder, which is always enjoyable. And then finally opened up. I had a bottle of Bourbon County brand barley wine sitting around uh, from Goose Island from December. So decided to put like five or six months on it. And uh, yeah, turned out pretty well. Very enjoyable drink, as, uh, as Dan Lyons alluded to last week when he had... Just the uh, the standard uh, Bourbon County brand um, stout. They just do a, such a good job, and they were like one of the original barrel, barrel aging uh, breweries in America. Um, they did just do such a good job of hiding that ABV. It's hanging around like all of them are somewhere between like twelve and fourteen, and and you feel like you're just drinking a standard stout for the most part. Man, you you are so far ahead of me on fancy stuff. I I got to catch up on. I'm taking notes here. <laughs> then just Sean, just join on tap. You can see all the stuff me and Dan are drinking all the time. I know, I know. I'm, I'm <laughs> very lazy about all that stuff. So. 
Or, or just follow Aaron Goldfarb's Twitter feed. Too. Well, yeah, that, I, I always see Aaron, what, what he has to say, and I'm like, all right, I'll try that. And then I go to the store, and I'm like, well, I can't find it. So <laughs> can't find this because no. it's either only in New York or it's $40 a bottle. Yeah, right. <laughs> Actually, I really enjoyed Aaron's. Did you read it a couple weeks ago? Aaron, for those listening, Aaron wrote an article about the uh, how Edward Forty Hands got started. Oh, no, I missed that. Yeah, he. Uh, I forgot what art, what site it was for. He's know he writes for a few. It was a. Uh, it was about the origins of Edward Forty Hands, and he like tried it, and then like quit like halfway through the first forty. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I mean, at twenty eight, I couldn't. Him at thirty seven, I don't. I couldn't imagine. No. Get, getting through that entire. I mean, I I never bothered with it in college because I had other drinking adventures to to go through. That was just never something that like. Appealed to me. I know one of my buddies like headbutted through a wall while doing it once. I don't again like not just never appealed to me. But I but I've always been fascinated by the desire to participate in in, in just just games like that where you know you're going to be inflicting physical harm on yourself. <laughs> well, I think you might need to go see a therapist about that. <laughs> maybe maybe. Um, so I guess Sean, for you, switching back to uh, to our AD search now, um, do you have a different list in terms of like what are three things that you want to see from this new AD, or is it really just the same as last time? It's fix football, um, figure out a way to to get more people attending, and I don't know. I guess I, I guess I'm wondering what that third thing is, at least off the top of my head. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I think the first two are definitely high priority. And, and I think maybe the third thing is, you know, now that you've got this really complete athletic program for the first time ever, uh, how do you maintain it? How do you uh, keep all, you know, most of these coaches happy? How do you, you know, do you have the facilities you need? And, you know, we're, we've gotten to the point now where Syracuse is, as an athletic program, is, um, you know, mentioned in the same uh, sentences as some of the best in the country. So uh, how do you stay there? How do you compete with a Stanford? How do you compete with, uh, you know, all, all these big-time programs? And, and maybe you don't. Maybe this year was just kind of like an anomaly, but but I think it, it does good things for Syracuse University in, in general and benefits – you know, everyone to, to keep as many of these programs at a high level as you can. But all of that said, uh, as I always say, when I walk into the bar wearing my Syracuse hat and the guy in the Ohio state hat and the guy in the Michigan hat, turn around and look at me, the, they don't ask me how the field hockey team is doing. They make fun of me because of how the football team is doing. So that is always going to be the top priority until it's fixed, uh, if it can ever be fixed. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's the thing. You know, basketball is, as crazy as it is, is, is basically on autopilot. It's it's just going to keep doing what it's doing, at least until Bayheim retires, and then we'll see how that goes. Um, but you've got a couple years at least before that happens. And so in the meantime – how do you just keep getting people to show up for football games and how do you how do you turn four wins into five wins and five wins into six wins and and how do you make bowl games a regularity and and you know how do you how do you compete with Louisville and Clemson and Florida State you know it's funny i uh like i i feel like 
earlier this year, I, I was doubting the autopilot thing, and then obviously we made a Final Four that we weren't supposed to. But it, it is you and I... Was it you and me were talking about it, but we might have pulled in some other folks. We were saying, like, why is it that in down years... I forgot when this article went up. But, like, why is it that, that in down years... North Carolina and Kentucky and Duke can still make the Final Four, but we can't. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's odd that we haven't revisited because I think both of us just kind of blocked out the article. <laughs> and, and then, like, now here we are, like, we did it. So, yeah, I, I think I'm finally on board with, you know, obviously we'll see what happens with Hopkins. But right now, like, yeah, Syracuse is on autopilot. doesn't matter who comes in, who goes out. Um, and I think we're all resigned to Malachi Richardson leaving at this point. Um, Syracuse has a chance to make a Final Four any season because Jim Beheim is, is a better in-game coach than he'll ever be given credit for. Yeah. Um, the defense is incredibly hard to uh, to prepare for on on short notice, um, and and Syracuse can bring in better talent than all but maybe you know five teams on, on a yearly basis. And you know you look at Villanova. Villanova is, is not a school that. You know, was out recruiting us by any means. I mean, they weren't rec- out recruiting North Carolina. They weren't out recruiting Oklahoma um, of late either, nor a bunch of other schools. And, and yet Villanova was able to do it with four-year guys. Um, that used to be our model. I don't think it is anymore. But um, yeah, Syracuse has a system that works, and it's going to be very, very interesting to me. I, I'm viewing the future now for Syracuse basketball with much more promise um, than I was before, and that might seem weird given the four and five mark under Mike Hopkins this year. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally remember talking about that and, and about how, you know, we just went into this season and it was like, man, we're just going to be kind of mediocre and, you know, we're not going to make the tournament. And, um, you know, and then when Hopkins took over, things really seemed to stand still. And uh, it just felt like, you know, what is it about us that, that we just can't get over that hump? And then, and then the NCAA tournament happens and it was like, no dummies, you, we are, we are at that level. Like, and and I think now like you can take this year and, and really take like the last, I don't know, seven, eight years and look at that and see just how impressive it has been. And I'm sorry, but whatever you think of Jim Behan, you got to give him credit for, just how crazy, uh, like the program has just gone to another level. Uh, say what you want about this regular season and the sanctions and all that. Um, you can't beat, well, you know, two Final Fours and uh, Elite Eights and number one rankings. It's just a, a, a level that Syracuse basketball hasn't been at. And yeah, I mean, at, at this point, it's almost like uh, short of some sort of catastrophe, which, you know, this season felt like there was one. Um, we've got a shot every year. Uh, we might not be the team. We might not be a top 10 team every year, but, uh, but we go into the NCAA tournament and as this year proved, uh, anything can happen. So, um, so yeah, I, I think for the new AD, it's kind of like, uh, well, it's like how Beheim said that, uh, one of the great things when he started was that Krathamel really didn't care about basketball. He only cared about football. So he was very hands-off, uh, at least according to Beheim. So Beheim kind of got to do his own thing. And Beheim doing his own thing tends to get us into trouble every now and again. But, uh, but he's also proven that he can handle it. And, uh, and so, yeah, if you just want to give me an AD that, that puts their focus on football and worries about you know, the rest of the program as a whole, 
that's that's all I'm interested in. Too true. And I think the one thing uh, from a point you were making earlier about, you know, being mentioned with the Stanfords and Virginias of the world, um, what I'm curious about, and I don't think there's any way to, um, you know, find this data like you can with championships, but, but how, how success in all those sports and, and Capital One Cups and, and Director's Cups increase um, applications and the quality of those applications. I mean, obviously, Stanford and Virginia are world-class institutions. Stanford is one of the toughest schools in the world to get into. Um, so it's tough to really, I mean, they win that, those awards, you know, nine out of every 10 years. Um, so again, tough, tough to really draw that line one-to-one, but, but I would like to see, you know, based on this resurgence or not resurgence that, that assumes they were ever there, but based on the arrival of these, these non-revenue sports, I am very curious to see, you know, not just the quality of applicants and how that's changed, but, um, you know, perhaps the diversity of applicants, uh, and, and things like that, that, you know, maybe some of it gets tied to, to recent final four runs or, or what have you, but I, I would like to see if there's any way we could draw a correlation, um, for Syracuse at least, um, between these, you know, total successes for the athletic program and, and the overall, you know, quality of student we're bringing in. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, that's the thing. It's like the, the more, the better, the the university, the more it benefits everyone, it gets people interested in SU. So uh, it's in our best interest. Even if you don't care about women's soccer or field hockey or volleyball, it, it is in the best interest of all Syracuse fans for the program to be very healthy and for the department to be uh, perceived as, like, if you're an athlete, you, you want to go here. And we're always being talked about. We're always on TV somewhere and we're always – uh, in an NCAA tournament somewhere, and and so that all of those things have have big effects that we don't always notice, and so um, so yeah, definitely a, a critical thing for the next AD. Agreed, and you know what? I, I think it's going back to what you said. It's critical for the next AD because you know look at look at what happened here. Like Syracuse is now seen as, as a place that like. Virginia, yes, their football team struggles, but do people really talk about Virginia football struggles? No, they talk about how how complete and how successful the athletic program is. You know, Stanford football knocks on the door, has, has not been able to get over the hump. The basketball program does not do what it should be doing. Do people worry about that? No, they worry about the fact that they're they're succeeding with, with high academic standards and, and that they're they're competing, you know, throughout the athletic department. I think. People are starting to come to, to grasp with this because, you know, Syracuse hasn't dealt with this in the past. We've always been a two-sport, three-sport school um, for so, so long. And I think, you know, when Coyle showed up, we were, we were getting to this point um, where we were, were going to be something you could sell in the full athletic program. I think we were, you know, 90% of the way there when he arrived, but it wasn't something that was national knowledge. Like now, you look at the national championships this year, the Final Four runs, how it looked like nearly every team made the postseason. Um, you know, that's something that, that, that you can market to, to guys. And, you know, maybe we end up, because we don't want to end up in the same situation that we did with Coyle, maybe we don't end up going for a top-tier guy. But if we were, I, I would think that the top-tier guys are looking more and more at Syracuse now because we have, you know, this seemingly commitment to everything that, that very few schools can really boast outside of the, you know, the, the typicals, the Virginias, the Stanfords, the North Carolinas, uh, and the Notre Dames, among some others. Yeah, I guess that's kind of like the, the, the reversal of what we were talking about earlier, where 
it, instead of the, the up and comers, uh, it, the people who have really established themselves, but now want to kind of make their own mark at, at, at their own place, uh, you know, where, where it'll be remembered that they built the, the program. Maybe that's, that's some, the kind of people to, to look at as well. Good call. Good call. And you know what? I, I think that, uh, that wraps us up, Sean, unless you had kind of any other parting thoughts. I mean, obviously, we're going to have plenty more on the site uh, throughout this week as we kind of, you know, undergo now the second um, AD search in, in, in blog history, just one year after the first one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean he, what I was going to say, and, and I'll, I'll probably touch on this in a piece on the site, but if I were going to give uh, Mark Coyle any advice, I would say... On the day when you completely blindside your employer that you've worked with for less than a year, it probably isn't the best thing to make the cornerstone of your introductory press conference about transparency and how important that is to you. Um, And that was something that it was a cornerstone of his introductory press conference at Syracuse as well. Um, And and I almost it's almost like I want to say. I don't blame him totally for how it went down because anyone who's ever left a job to take another job uh, knows that it is a really hard thing to do and you kind of have to play your cards close to your chest and all of that. Um, But I guess just don't be the guy who then turns around and talks about how important transparency is like that. That's kind of what it is. Like don't, don't set yourself up to be that guy. Just, you know, just do your thing, right? and that's it. Good words of advice. I think uh, I think a lot of people could take that, even if you aren't Mark Coyle. And uh, I hope because of the show that he, and saying not to say that it's disingenuous, but given the show that he put on today um, at, at his introductory press conference um, and, and and the almost tears and and the you know emotional and heartfelt everything, I, I would hope that he. He sticks around long enough to deliver on those things. That this truly is the place that, that you're hell bent on being, and, and your family feels so you know so much touching emotion toward, and, and, and you dream of your daughter singing the fight song and all that. Like I, I hope for your sake that you can deliver on it because I, I feel like if I, from what I know about Minnesota fans, I would feel like they're just as unforgiving about those sorts of backstabbing and betrayal as we are probably probably um all right uh sean thanks for thanks for hanging out always a pleasure when you can stop into the podcast yeah, gotta do more. yeah. Uh, so that was sean i'm john uh you've been listening to troy noons is an absolute podcast um, please be sure to rate review subscribe on itunes on blog talk and yeah read the site we got plenty more about the uh the sudden and surprising mark Coyle departure but in the meantime, go Orange Lacrosse this weekend. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. 
Tell people to stay off the lawn, compare it to your neighbor's lawn, and complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.